Welcome to Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi, a passionate and relentless pursuit of exploring how individuals use good judgment in everyday life, both in their personal and professional lives. Hi, I'm talking today with Bulu Leteka. She's somebody I really admire and I'm so excited to have her here. Hey, how are you? Hi, Dudu. I'm good. How are you doing? Thank you for making the time. I know you're quite hectic. Do you have siblings? You know, we've never really spoken about that. Uh, do you have siblings? What did you do with your pastime as a child? How did oh, you wow. keep yourself occupied? So I do have siblings. I come from a, a very big family, uh, particularly on my maternal side of the mm-hmm. family. So I've got an elder sister, a younger brother and a younger sister. Okay. And what did I do growing up? Jeez, a lot. I, I've always been very playful mm. so you know anything outdoors um when we were growing up we, we used to have what we called mantrani mantrani which is uh in english i suppose playing house yeah, yeah but we did it outside we, <laughs> built, we built houses with, with bricks and we cooked uh we we, we created stoves and and, oh and, my God, and put a uh, <laughs> sink and used uh, empty tins of lucky fish uh, okay. what is it lucky stuff lucky fish tins stuff, and yeah. we'd cook papa and vegetables and all manner of things. So domesticated. To, well, yeah, well, we did that, but we also did body baking, which is, um, you know, playing ball, um, mm. jumping over, over you know, um, tins that you'd have to build. And oh, yes, you'd I have remember to throw that one. Ball Gosh, that. I forgot yeah. that one, yeah. But I was also quite a, a tomboy, um, so, so I, I loved climbing anything. That um, I, yeah. I climbed trees walls, mountains. My, my ancestral home is, is, is in Lesotho, so mm-hmm. I, I, I walked up and down the Lesotho mountains. <laughs> uh, so that's why I don't do mountain climbing now. No, it's right. <laughs> I've been there, done that. Exactly, yes. So that's really what we did, just very playful. But I've also been a, an ardent reader uh, since I was a child, uh, so I found a, a very different world to what I was accustomed to through books. Mm. And uh, until today, I cherish that. You're very unapologetic about money. Um, I'm aware that at 17, you told your mom you will be a millionaire. What is it about wealth that has inspired you in your journey in life? I mean, why is that an important part? And how does that add value to you as a human being? So um, it is not so much money in itself. I think it is um, really understanding the importance of controlling the means of capital and uh, the ability to then drive uh, capital, um, uh, what do you call it, you know, capital allocation towards things that really matter. Uh, so when I was a kid, I, because I was, I was such a reader, I, mean, I read everything, whether it was books, novels, uh, magazines, and at the time they had People magazine, I think it's still there now. I haven't seen it in a while. I haven't while, seen it in a while yeah. as well, but uh, when we were a kid it was quite a big yeah. thing and it gave us a, you know, a window into the American life of, of things and and I mean for me you know I came across somebody like a, an Oprah Winfrey yeah. through uh, People magazine mm-hmm. and I remember she at the time this was in the 80s um, she was doing some philanthropic work in Africa mm-hmm. uh, you know um, I think she's always been into you know empowering uh, young girls and, and things like that and I was quite inspired by that and I thought geez she can do it because she is wealthy yeah and for me, I think that stuck in my mind to say, when you are in a position of wealth and therefore financial power, mm. economic power, you can actually drive change. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I'm very driven by um, purpose. I'm very driven by, you know, the belief that, you know, we didn't come on, on earth to just have fun and, 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 and sort of 
go to the other side. Uh, I believe that we are here, you know, with a very specific role that we need to play, and I believe that mine is to contribute, um, you know, I, I, contribute towards us as a as an African people because that's really where most of the development uh, is still lacking. But I believe that us as as an African people have got significant potential. And for whatever, for, for, for reasons that we all know, uh, we've never been able to fully unlock it. Yeah. Uh, and I believe that it is my purpose to play some role in contributing towards unlocking our potential. Mm. And I do think that until, whether it's myself or, you know, similar-minded uh, Africans, until we are in a position of controlling the means of capital, we will forever be begging Begins. to the rest of the world to help us solve our problems. Mm. Whereas when we have got, um, you know, control over that capital, we, we know our challenges. Uh, and I believe that in us lies the answer to the solution to those challenges. Yeah. I don't think that we can parachute uh, solutions from anywhere else in the world. Yeah. Which we do. Yes. Quite but readily. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I suppose we have not had much of a, of a choice uh, in, in many instances what, what others could argue differently. But I certainly think that we, we, we have the lived experience. That's the advantage we have over the world. You know, so nobody can come to Africa and tell me as an African what my lived experience is, mm. what my challenges are, and what a lasting solution to those challenges should be, except myself and the people that, you know, share a similar lived experience. But I think until we are able to amass the wealth that we require to then be able to, as I said, deploy and allocate uh, capital appropriately, uh, we will forever be the so-called dark continent, yeah. as it were. So it's got a context, the wealth. It's not just no, for the sake of it. It's not. It's a means to an end. It's not yeah. an end in itself. Yeah. It's not about, um, you know, there's being rich and then there's being wealthy. So if it was just about the money, I would say I want to be rich so that I can wear the best clothes and, yeah. and travel the world and whatever. But I think wealth gives you power that richness doesn't, doesn't. Uh, give you. Yes. Yeah. Unique value proposition in that context of everything you've just shared. What do you think your unique value proposition? You know, I was wondering whether it's unique, uh, but it, it's. I think I'm very passionate. Yeah. Uh, generally, I think I, I, I throw myself when I when I believe in a course, or even when I'm just playing with my kids or my 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 my, my nieces and nephews, which I, I do quite a bit of. Um, and I think it is important to. To be very, um, I think, deliberate and focused in what it is that you're doing, because I think that enhances the chances of that getting done w well. You know what I mean? So not doing things half-heartedly or not doing things begrudgingly. Yeah. And therefore, it also means that I often choose. I'm very choosy about what I want to do, and yeah. if I don't want to do something, I don't do you it. Don't do it. Uh, because I know that I will not be able to give it my best. So I always try to bring my best game. Uh, to any uh, thing that I do, and, yeah. I, and and I also believe in um, again I don't know whether it is unique, but for me these are values and principles that I really cherish. Yeah. Uh, respect. Uh, I often think that I think that we do not often enough talk about the value and importance of respect, uh, Dudu. I think that uh, as we have become driven by success and uh, acquiring riches or wealth. We have forgotten who we are as humans uh, and the importance of respecting your fellow human being, being. regardless of their station mm, in life. Just because they're human. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and also respecting, I mean, respecting self, uh, you know, it has to start with self. Respecting self and as a result, respecting, you know, the next person. And, and respect, respect is not just about, you know, being uh, cordial or, or decent towards a human being, but really 
respect goes as far as you and I can sit and have a conversation and share opinions and yes. we may differ. But the ability and the humility for me to say, yes, I do not agree with you, but I respect what you're saying yes. and I will give consideration to, to what you're saying. Yeah. And maybe in the process, we could find some common ground. Mm. Having that mutual respect, I think it is so, so important, especially in this world where we're trying to navigate, where we're trying to almost negotiate our way mm. towards you know, a better future. I think yes. it is very important. Honesty and integrity, I think that that is something that I'm also very clear and very deliberate about. Because again, it is very easy to fall into the trappings of of um, you know uh, material things yes um, and and in the process lose your integrity or, or do dishonest things just in pursuit of so I think one always has to remind oneself that you know when, I always say when you when I go to bed at night I need not be worried about what I did on that day and whether it is something that I'm proud of or is it something that uh, I will be too ashamed to tell my children that I did mm. Uh, or anybody for that matter that I hold in high regard. So I think for me that those are very important principles. And I, I, I mentioned them quite deliberately because we live in this world of firstly um, instant gratification. We yes. were talking now about how much we love uh, convenience. And I think in the process of, of, of doing those things, we do sometimes overlook uh, the, the important values that we as humans should, I think, always be mindful of and be... Yeah, because artificial of. intelligence is not going to give us that, is it? Oh, yes, it's going to expose us. <laughs> yes, I think so. Very badly, yeah. You, you sometimes come across as foreboding and tough, and I think the passion you have and for the journey you're on, I can see it's, it, you're really serious about it. Mm. And I think that seriousness sometimes can come off as, you know, a bit too serious. <laughs> but I think you're soft at heart because I've had a number of interactions with you where I've seen that soft part of you. And I think sometimes you do cry when things go wrong. Yeah? Oh, wait, not sometimes, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you said we shouldn't strive to be men as women. No. Uh, so what do you think behaviorally women bring into any space that we really should hold on to? I know we're not supposed to stereotype women that we're all the same, but is there something that we bring into spaces that we shouldn't lose sight of? I think there are many things we bring in. And in fact, uh, I cannot remember who did the study now, uh, but it has been, uh, studies have shown that women possess probably about seven or eight leadership uh, qualities, mm -hmm. that, you know, good leadership qualities. Things like intuition, things like ability to... To, to, or willingness and ability to listen yes. and really understand. Because I suppose we are nurturing and we, we are naturally mothers, you know. Uh, so when you've got children, you're not just going to be, you know, um, impatiently waiting for them to speak, to, to finish doing whatever they're doing or, or speaking. You you probably have to be very patient and, and understanding and, and listening. And in the process of being patient and listening, I think that's where wisdom comes. Because you reflect. And, and I, I think oftentimes uh, testosterone maybe, and we do have testosterone as women, by the way. Oh, just not but to the same amount. Exactly, yes. But I do think <laughs> that uh, sometimes our male counterparts are very quick to, to talk and very slow to listen. Yes. And I think women, um, and maybe it's how we're socialized as well, uh, we tend to, to, to want to listen. Uh, and, and I think there's power in listening and really, really... Um, sitting in it, as they say, and, and, and reflecting. And I think women, uh, because we are not, and I, I don't know whether it's a socialization thing or it's just how God made us, 
we are also very, you know, we, we tend to want to see a number of points of view before we make a final decision. And I think some of those decisions are the best decisions when you've heard five different opinions as opposed to going with your own, your own opinion yeah, um. or maybe one other. So I think that there are those qualities that we have which we, we, we need to embrace. We need to not be apologetic about them and we need to see the power uh, in them. This is something I learned over time. Mm -hmm. though. It's not at 25 if you'd asked me the question, I would have been say, I would have said, "Hey, let's do it now." Yes. You know, I, I was very, I was very gung ho, um, yeah. and uh, you know, I've always been assertive. But I think at that point, I, I was probably bordering on, on aggressive. Mm. Uh, and I think it was also where, where one was. You know, I was I was in financial services for most of my career, and later on in government. But I've always worked in a male-dominated space, so I think I've had to be tough uh, or appear to be tough in order to be taken seriously, or at least that's what I thought. But as I've matured and, and become more comfortable in my skin, because that's the beautiful thing about aging and experience, you, yeah. you, you become much more comfortable in your skin and you become much more confident, actually, I think. Um, I've, I've come to appreciate that my femininity, actually, a lot of the time, wins me more battles mm. than when I was tough and, and taking on the boys and, and, yeah. and, and things like that. And when I think, you're yourself. Exactly. And I, I think that, of course, one needs to find the right balance because sometimes you need to, you, 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 sometimes your masculine power needs to come through when you are in a particular situation. But I think as a woman, you know, uh, we, we need not try too much to be like boys because we're not boys yes. and, and we can never be boys mm. and we can never beat boys in that game. But guess what? We are women, we are feminine, there are qualities we have that they do not have. Yes. And if we play to those qualities and those strengths, I think that we are in a much better position to win more than yeah. we are to lose. And that's significant because some people misunderstanding masculine and feminine qualities because those are both male and females. Absolutely. So it's a matter of knowing the context in which to use what kind of um, characteristics and power. But that's good. I'm glad you brought that out. Mm. Let's go back to idea of capital. Mm -hmm. So it's a capitalist for economic growth. You're very passionate about the continent. You're very pa passionate about entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. You got into a space that is seen as commercially not viable and quite risky, and that's supporting black and women-owned businesses. Why do other financiers steer away from this area? It's, uh, it's, it's for many, many reasons. It's historical, it's patriarchy, it's colonialism, it's, uh, you know, just lack of understanding. You know, if you don't understand the other, I'm much more comfortable. I mean, of course, with time, I've become much more comfortable with other ethnic groups. I was probably much more comfortable with social speaking people because same background, yeah. same culture, whatever. And as I en encountered and engaged with the rest of the world, I've become much more comfortable and I, I understand them better. So I do think that there is a lot to be said about uh, exposure mm. to, to different types of people, whether it's men, female, black, white, uh, you know, different religions uh, and, and just coming from different parts of the world and even different parts of Africa because oftentimes people think when we are Africans we're homogeneous when we are yeah. not. So, so I think for me uh, it is just a lack of understanding of the other, firstly. Um, I think that... I mean, when I say historically, historically black people in South Africa in particular, in fact across the continent for that matter, uh, were precluded from amassing um, resources that would give them what finances now look for as collateral. Yes. Right? Where are you going to get collateral if you're not allowed to buy land, 
if you're not allowed to go to school and get the best job and you know acquire you know whatever form of assets mm. so you know clearly that that already kicks you out of the the, the, the ring secondly um, things like track, relevant track record if you've never worked uh, in a formal environment or you've never had an opportunity to run a business uh, and people ask you about your track record, you know, you've got nothing what to show. Because yeah. that's how you do risk assessment, isn't it? So that, I mean, th that's the rule. Those are the rules of the game. So typically this, I, I, call us, I call us an asset class. I think we're an asset class that by virtue of history, we, we've sort of been precluded to a very large extent to access the means of capital. Uh, and it requires us to be creative, in my view, uh, mm -hmm. uh, on, on how we assess risk or, or, yes, assess risk, but how we mitigate it. We have mm. to be very creative around risk mitigation because, yeah. you know, risk is there. Whether you have a track record or yes. not, there's always risk. So, so, so what th this new asset class, and I call it a new asset class because the world has not really had to engage with us like now they are being forced to engage with us. So they need to think very creatively around the risk mitigation strategies they apply mm -hmm. to this new asset class. So they should see us as a new asset class and think creatively around how do we mitigate the risk that we see. Because the risk is there, but then you need to think about it very creatively. But I think, Dudu, it goes back, though, to the point I was making earlier. And it's a very important point, which I always want to just underline. Until this asset class, until Africans and until women have amassed, amassed the, the means of capital or the wealth, that enables them and allows them to drive capital allocation. This will continue being a challenge because I, as an African woman, understanding other African women, am much more comfortable deploying capital to African women-owned businesses. Yes. Because I, I, I know what they're trying to achieve. I understand their circumstances. I, I'm able to have the conversations with them that many people don't even know where to begin having uh, them. But also I have access to them. You see, this is the mm. thing. I look like them. I speak like them. I come from their background. Share the lived experience. Exactly. So I'm not even, a, firstly, I'm not afraid of them because I'm them. And secondly, when they say to me, Polo. That is actually powerful. You heard that. Yes, mm. I am them. I'm, mm. you know, and and that, that, that is such an important, and that's what the world needs to understand that until the people who, like, who look like you are in a position to make significant uh, decisions and, and drive change, you will remain, you know, on the periphery. So we need to see more of us. Uh, so I'm very passionate also about role modeling. Yes. And that's why I'm doing this interview, because I'm hoping some girl out there will look at me and say, geez, she looks like me, she, she's got the same accent yeah. as me. But the uh, significant thing is that this is also watched by our peers. Yes. And sometimes these conversations help give us courage because we have the positions, but we're not using the authority to make the decisions that we should be making on behalf of people that look like me. It is amazing how much we underestimate our power, isn't it? Mm. Um, and I'm not saying this with any amount of arrogance. I'm saying it with just conviction, knowing that I've come to appreciate, and I, I really learned this through IDF Capital. Uh, when we started our business, uh, we were told that we would not find black women-owned businesses because you know, the whole of the financial services industry in South Africa could not find these black women. Wow. And we there, but anyway. Yeah. Exactly. And I said, well, you know, um, I, I had, and I think because we, we've also been socialized to believe that firstly, looking for funding is probably something that men do. do. So we don't even bother. We don't even never, bother. You're not exactly. going to be approved. Anyway. That is the point. So, yeah. so, so when you then go to, so I know where black women hang out. 
So I'm able to have these conversations in spaces and platforms that traditionally the financial services sector does not have access to. But I think when I say to other women, oh, you know, you can, you can raise 10 million rand, you can raise 100 million rand, it's perfectly normal and, and it's doable. And you almost give them permission, I always say permission uh, uh, to dream, permission yes. to say, oh, oh, you're talking to me too. Yeah. You know what I mean? I thought you were talking to, yeah. to, to John or whoever. Oh, you're talking to me. This is directed at me. So when you, you start having your IDF capitals of this world, where more and more African women are in, in, you know, driving you know, the, these decisions and, 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 and driving these businesses that allocate capital, then more and more women will start saying, oh, you're talking to me. Yeah. Then, then you give them permission to come yeah. and knock at your door and say, oh, I'm here to ask for that 10 million rand or yeah. 50 million rand or whatever billion rand for that matter. And I think it is important that we're very deliberate about that. And that's why we should not be apologetic again around issues of transformation. Mm. Because until we transform the face of capital, the people who remain on the periphery of access to capital will remain there because yeah. they, they think that it's for them and not us. Yeah. So I think it is important to, to do that. I also do think that uh, it is important even for our governments, though, to start, uh, because unfortunately the you know, the effects of colonialism and apartheid and all those other things are with us for a very long time. But we now have, I mean, in South Africa, as an example, we have an eco a country, in my view, which is not poor. I don't think we're a poor country. Mm. I honestly don't think we're a poor country. I just think we're poor at making capital allocation decisions. I honestly, honestly believe that. I think that if the powers that be could start allocating capital more intelligently yes. and where it matters the most yeah. and where we can have the biggest impact, I think we're going to start seeing the narrative change. Yeah. But we need to be bold. You see what I mean? We, we are afraid to make tough decisions. We are afraid to make... Because, you see, when you're trying to drive change and transformation, you need to also accept that you'll make mistakes yes. along the way. You cannot be sitting there it's and trying... It's a new path that has not been traveled. You can't yes. wait for a perfect scenario. You'll never ever come across a... It's like in entrepreneurship. Mm. You'll never ever come across a perfect... You'll never come up with a perfect product yes. or a perfect perfect solution. But it has to be good enough. And if it is good enough, take a chance. And you'll figure it out and yes. you'll find it along you the way. And I think, for me, I think that is the boldness that we need uh, from our leadership, I think, yeah. across the board, across whether the it board. is in corporate South Africa... Because it's, not, it's our country, after mm -hmm. all. It's not the politician's country. It's our country. Mm -hmm. So even corporate South Africa sitting on cash piles, as we all know. They're sitting on cash Is piles. Is a trillion or more than trillion? Well, I don't yeah. know what the numbers are, but yeah. it's a lot of money that my brain cannot get its head around. It's a lot of money that we're sitting on. Uh, we're afraid to make decisions because, you know... It's high risk. It's high risk, but high risk also is high return, right? Yes. Uh, ultimately, and, that's the... And sometimes we need to bank... On our own country, and just say no. We do. We we need to. And and sitting on the cash piles means that we don't believe in our country. So you know. Yeah, you say f um, funding is useful, but it isn't the holy grail. Um, can you clarify what you mean? And also, I know you have opinions around pricing of products and services, especially in the context of how do we remain profitable, but also in the context of our competitors. You know, just share some wisdom there. Well, I, I often talk about funding not being the holy grail uh, within the context of entrepreneurs always looking for funding. Because what we find is that um, a lot of entrepreneurs who are probably starting out, the first thing they think they need is money. You need capital, but capital is not necessarily money. Yes. Capital can be human capital. 
It can be physical infrastructure, it can be many other things, yes. intellectual capital mm. and so forth. Uh, and I think that, and for me, that's probably the most important form of capital you need when you start a business. Yes. And, and I think that entrepreneurs don't have an appreciation of the importance of that. And because of the lack of appreciation of the importance of that, when they then go and raise capital, they actually have of the time are either asking for the wrong amount of money or they're asking for the wrong type of capital, right? So I believe that you need to start. You need to, if, if, if you're saying that you're an entrepreneur or you're starting a business, you need to start, sell something. Yes. You know, talk to your potential clients, convince one or two guys. They will give you feedback. Mm. The market, uh, uh, from my experience, is the best... Uh, feedback mechanism. Exactly. Yeah. It is the best way to figure out, do you have a viable business? Yes. Do you have a viable product? Do you have a viable solution? Um, and until you've tested that, because once you go to market and you say, I want to sell a red apple, but then the market likes green apples. When you go to a market with a red apple, they'll say, no, 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 we like apples, but we actually prefer green. Then you know not to buy more red yes. than start buying green. And then what the market will also tell you is whether if you're selling it at 50 cents, whether they like it or not, if you're selling it at one rent, they like it or not. You know, and it starts telling you what your price point should mm. be. The market gives you feedback. You need to be responsive, uh, yes. Exactly. So, so I think that's what uh, entrepreneurs need to figure out. And also they need to figure out, do I have the people that I need? Do I have the systems that I need? Do I have the processes that I need? If I don't have that, what is it going to cost me to acquire the people, uh, the human resources? Yes. What is it going to cost me to acquire, whether it is an IT system or any other system that I need to have in place? And once you figure out a few of those things, which should take you some time, you know, maybe six months, 12 months, mm. then you can go to a financier and say, look, I think I need so much money because I'm going to do, use it for one, two, three, four, five. Um, and because of the nature of my business, if my business is cash generative, then I'll go and ask for a loan because I know that I can actually yeah, service the loan. Yeah. But if I know that my business is the type that will only break even in three years' time, it doesn't make sense for me to go and ask for a loan. Maybe I'll go and ask for equity. Mm. You understand mm. what I'm saying? So entrepreneurs are not sufficiently educated also about their funding needs a lot yes. of the time. I'm not saying all of them, but yeah. we certainly find a lot of that. And that's what I mean when I say that it is not capital first. I think it's figure out the business and then, yes. then it will tell you the type of capital in that I market. think because in our country we always talk about access to finance. So it ends up being the thing that yeah. we all talk about. Yeah. Uh, what is your Achilles heel and how do you prevent it from adversely affecting other aspects of your life that make you successful? Well, I have been accused of being a workaholic. Um, so, and I do think that as a result, uh, although I, you know, I'm very big into family and I love family, I do think I probably don't spend as much time as I, I would like to or the family would like me to, at least in the past. So I'm trying, working very hard on finding balance. Mm. Apparently, uh, balance is, is, is elusive though yeah. for, for entrepreneurs. It's not but, possible. Yeah. Yeah. but you're trying. I'm trying, yes. Okay. Trying. The one thing that we seem to share is the love for finance in terms of figures. Mm -hmm. So um, I know I once worked with you on your strategy, mm -hmm. um, which was, thank you for the honor. Mm -hmm. But the one thing, you know, I always ask for is certain financial ratios to be, to be produced so that I can kind of get an understanding of the business and to understand the trends over time. And you also believe that if you do not understand numbers, you actually don't understand your business. Mm -hmm. um, but you find that a lot of us who run our own businesses actually don't. Mm -hmm. What can you say to us around that? I can never um, overemphasize the importance of 
the story that your numbers tell. I mean, uh, if, if you're making a profit, your income statement will tell you. If you're making a loss, your income statement will tell you. Your management accounts will tell you whether you are efficient or not. Um, are you paying people too much or too little? Are you getting the best out of your, you know, are, are you running an efficient business? Are you maximizing on, on profitability? Do you need to change your pricing? Um, that's what numbers tell you. And, and I know that people just look at numbers, but actually once you start understanding what your margins are, for instance, your gross margins, your net margins, if for instance you have big gross margins and your net margins are very uh, low, then you start saying, okay, maybe there are inefficiencies in my in 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 my business. Mm, then you start you looking. Know, then you start then, then you start pinpointing where exactly yeah. is it that you are spending too much, or is it? It could even be a pricing thing. So it could be that you are not pricing sufficiently for what it actually costs you to deliver the good or service. Mm. So numbers should be your friend. They are literally your health check. You know, it's like if you, you you depend on your heart to pump blood and and and, and live, and that's what your numbers are. If they are in a bad condition and you start having heart problems and you're, you, you know, you're, you're likely to get a heart attack or aneurysm or whatever it is that people get. So, so it's the same kind of relationship you need to have with your numbers. Yeah, so we shouldn't be scared because most people think, oh, if I'm not good at math, but really, you know, accounting math is slightly different. No, it's very different. Yeah. It's, it's actually not so much about mathematics. It's just about, you know, what is the picture that it is painting and what should I be worried about? Yeah. And I think when you change the relationship with numbers, and, and I'm not saying people should be accountants, you should have an accountant if you're not you know, comfortable in that space, but your accountant, you, you demand of your accountant to put in English what the numbers are saying, so that even when you start looking at the numbers on your own, you can use your English to, to telling interpret. telling your story exactly. and you're able to yeah. read the story. Because yeah. it's your business, yeah. Eh? yeah it's not your well, accountant's business. You know, we can talk forever, but almost in closing, um, I don't usually close with this one, but... What's the most courageous decision you've ever taken? Sure, it's letting go of, uh, and, and maybe letting go is a bit extreme, but it feels like it's letting go of my baby. <laughs> it's, it's, it's accepting that being the person who starts a business and comes up with a vision of a business and dreams about it and gets it off the ground and sort of, you know, you know crawling and then walking, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're the guy who's going to help him help it run the marathon, you know, uh, and be sustainable in the in the near future. Mm. So, I have come to accept that because I think I'm first and foremost an entrepreneur at heart, meaning that I probably have new ideas of, of what to do on a daily basis. Yes. Uh, what it has meant is that in the past, because of that, I think I probably hindered what was working to move at the pace that it did because I was now focusing on a new idea or a new, you know, new little, a new toy as it were. So I've, I've now had to step down as the CEO, CEO of IDF Capital and assume the chairman role and, and, and appoint somebody who's going to almost do the, I would say, care and maintenance and hopefully take us to the next, through, 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 through the next wave of growth yeah. and really take it to the next uh, level whilst I continue to tinker with, uh, with other new exciting other, ideas. Other, yeah, which yes. I know you're working in West Africa, so that's yeah. going to be exciting stuff. Absolutely, very excited um, about that. Okay, well, I'm happy. But just before we close, what do you want your child to remember you by? What would you want her to be proud of? I think my child, uh, and she knows this, I, I, I'm very clear about uh, being purpose-driven and, and, and being unrelenting 
in, in pursuing that which you are proposed uh, to do. She has seen it. Um, she has seen the sacrifices I've made just in pursuance of, of, of that purpose. And, and, and I hope that what, whatever uh, you know, they cho choose to do when they grow up, uh, they choose to become when they grow up, whatever it is, they should pursue it with the same level of, uh, of passion and, and focus. Because I think that's how you shift things, that's how you change the world. Wow, amazing. Well, thank you. You've uh, been quite positive in my life as well. So, and I've gleaned from your wisdom. So I'm very excited to have had this conversation. And do you understand now why I wanted more of you to meet her? And if you think you recognize her, it's because she was one of the dragons <laughs> in Dragon's Den. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Wisdom Personified Conversations with Dudum Somi. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Durum Somi. Please also like, follow and subscribe to our channel and share the wisdom with your friends. I would love it if you could rate and review as well. Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Durum Somi is also available on YouTube, Facebook Watch, Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. Enjoy the wisdom journey.